Good day. Welcome to This Week in Addiction Medicine Special Edition. I'm Bob Davis. This week we are joined by Dr. Melissa Weimer. Dr. Weimer has a clinical and research focus on substance use disorder treatment, particularly in the hospital setting. She has a fellowship training and years of experience in the management of complex pain, particularly for patients with co-committant opioid use disorders. She is the medical director of Yale Addiction Medicine Consult Service, a multidisciplinary hospital-based program to address the substance use disorder needs of patients admitted to Yale New Haven Hospital. Welcome, Dr. Weimer. Thanks, Bob. Nice to talk with you. Doctor, what specific clinical situations favor use of low or high-dose buprenorphine initiation strategies? Well, this is an important question for us to think about now with there being more high-potency synthetic opioids in the drug supply. And what we know is that really now for buprenorphine initiation, the strategies that we use need to be um, individualized by setting and patient preference. So it's important thinking about where you're treating the patient and then talking to the patient about their preferences. There are some thoughtful um, options that we can offer patients that have shown to be helpful in certain settings. So low-dose buprenorphine initiation strategies, for instance, have been shown to be well-tolerated in observational data, particularly in hospital settings, but can occur in other settings as well. We really need more evidence to help guide that treatment in ambulatory settings, but low-dose buprenorphine initiation strategies can be done in that setting. And then there are some strategies to quickly help people start buprenorphine, and this can be safely done in all settings uh, with a higher dose strategy. And this has particularly been shown in emergency department settings. Something to think about if you're having folks with very severe withdrawal um, symptoms that you wanna treat quickly, given that we know that patients have high tolerance to opioids, quickly treating and stabilizing them, utilizing a higher dose strategy, you may find to be quite beneficial and effective for your patients. I see. So what strategies can address patient discomfort, including precipitated opioid withdrawal, if it occurs during a buprenorphine initiation? Well, this is really key for us to think about and make sure that we are helping patients be comfortable during any sort of initiation on medication treatment for opioid use disorder for them to have great success with the treatment. We want them to successfully start and stay on treatment because staying on treatment will really provide the most protective um, protection to them over time and the treatment of opioid use disorder. For patients who have mild to moderate opioid withdrawal symptoms during initiation, if you have maximized the dose during initiation to 24 milligrams per day, you can certainly decide for to increase that dose beyond that dose um, initially if your patient has very high opioid tolerance. We also wanna think about other evidence-based strategies such as alpha-2 agonists and other symptom-targeted treatments that may be helpful in addition to more buprenorphine. 
And this is really where that supportive comfort medications, adjunct medications, we really need to think about utilizing probably more for folks who have ongoing opioid withdrawal symptoms. There can be cases where patients really struggle during initiation with having severe withdrawal symptoms or patients can have precipitated opioid withdrawal. In those cases, you may want to consider the need to potentially escalate care to an emergency department setting or an inpatient setting. And we do have some strategies, some other medications, again, that are given in a very highly monitored setting. Uh, but these treatments can be given in those settings and can reduce opioid withdrawal symptoms and have been shown to be quite effective at doing so. So after buprenorphine initiation, what range of dosing or dosing strategies can be considered during stabilization and, and long-term treatment? So this is really important as we discussed, because not only is initiation important, we wanna be able to get people onto treatment, but we really want people to stay on treatment. And we know that the longer people stay on treatment, the better that they do. And this is called your stabilization phase, um, ongoing maintenance phase of care for uh, medication treatment for opioid use disorder. And what we're finding for folks who have had a lot of exposure to high potency synthetic opioids is that their tolerance to opioids is very, very high. And it may take them a little bit longer to stabilize, meaning not having any ongoing use of illicit, of illicit opioids. So when folks are struggling, it, 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 we may need to use higher doses than we are traditionally used to using. So there may be some patients who have that high opioid tolerance who may require buprenorphine doses that exceed the general limit that, that traditionally we've used of 24 milligrams per day. And this um, may be needed for treatment stabilization. We also see this as vitally important in particularly pregnant persons who have physiologic changes during pregnancy that really alter their metabolism of buprenorphine. And this may, may require us to adjust the dose of buprenorphine and the dosing interval. Certainly other things we can think about doing to support stabilization are you know, talking to our patients, seeing our patients, providing psychosocial support, um, considering a higher level of care for the patient that's highly supportive, if the patient is unable to stabilize with buprenorphine. And then over time, hopefully once the patient has achieved stabilization, we can reconsider the dose and we can think about really what dosing um, strategy, dosing interval and dose overall is most beneficial to the patient. And generally we are seeing that folks are doing pretty well on doses in the 24 milligrams per day when they have high, um, high tolerance to opioids. That doesn't mean that you should arbitrarily reduce people's doses if they're doing well at a higher dose. So these are just some things to think about and we provide some of this guidance in the clinical consideration document. What are the indications for injectable extended release buprenorphine for OUD treatment compared to sublingual formulations? 
So again, this is an area where you want to individualize care. Not every patient will need extended release um, buprenorphine treatment. It is another option in our armamentarium of options um, treatments that we have for patients. So it is something that you know you want you want to offer to a patient. They may find that the extended release buprenorphine option provides a different formulation that they may find more acceptable. Some people may find that it's not acceptable to them and they may not have interest in it. Um, it is a newer formulation. People don't have as much more familiar, familiarity with it. So you want to make sure that you counsel your patients about the formulation, side effects, expected benefits, um, risks, et cetera. Um, but the what I have found and what many studies have shown is that we can consider extended release buprenorphine formulations in folks who are finding that it's difficult to stabilize on the sublingual formulations and the higher occupancy at the opioid receptor that the extended release buprenorphine formulation provides can be helpful for for individuals who have um, extensive exposure to high-potency synthetic opioids. It may also be very helpful in your patients who may have unsafe living environments and may not be able to keep their medications safe if they're using them on a daily basis. And then if folks have had multiple opioid overdoses or they've struggled to kind of get um, a lot of consistency with their medication use, this may be another treatment option that you consider. Um, we would recommend that if you're you are starting this medication, um, that that you want to start it as as soon as you can. Um, so once a person has safely initiated um, offering this medication, if it's something that you and the patient decide is something that they want, and also recognize that. This medication, which takes some time to reach steady state, patients may struggle while it's reaching steady state, and they may need additional sublingual buprenorphine during that period of time. I just want to mention also that the extended release buprenorphine formulations come in two different um, formulations. Uh, one is only a 28-day injection, and then there's a newer formulation that comes as a weekly injection or a 28-day injection. So read more about this um, also um, as is described in the clinical consideration document. How do other novel drug adulterants affect buprenorphine initiation and stabilization? So this is an important area where we really don't have a lot of research and understanding and our, our understanding of it is evolving very quickly. Uh, but certain um, novel drug components or adulterants such as xylosine and other types of high potency synthetic opioids or synthetic benzodiazepines or other adulterants such as levimosol or um, talc and other types of, of agents you know, we're, we're really trying to better understand what, how these components affect um, initiation and stabilization. But some of these substances, such as xylosine, for example, 
do appear to have their own withdrawal component that could complicate initiation and stabilization. So we want to, during initiation and stabilization, consider the potential withdrawal from these substances when we are treating the opioid withdrawal as well. And so we want to attend to that, providing additional comfort medication, adjuvant-type medications. We also want to think about the potential overdose risk of these medications, provide a lot of education to our patients about them, provide as much support as we can to our patients, um, and education to prevent harms that can be specifically related to these substances, such as xylazine-related uh, wounds that can be um, associated with injection of xylazine, as an example. And so we want to prevent those harms with patients. And then also what you know we found is that many of these substances and components are not traditionally picked up on any of our usual um, toxicology screening. So there are some more involved testing that can be done to um, evaluate the drug supply at a community level. And when we do find these harmful substances in the drug supply, I think it's important, again, to feed this information back to our patients so they can understand what other substances are in the drugs that they are using um, so that, again, they can prevent harms to themselves and then hopefully prevent harms for others as well. What are OUD treatment alternatives after repeated unsuccessful attempts at buprenorphine treatment? So this is also vitally important because buprenorphine is one of three FDA-approved medication treatment options for patients with opioid use disorder. The two other medication treatment options being methadone and extended-release naltrexone. That being said, some folks do have difficulty initiating buprenorphine in their environment, uh, the ambulatory environment. And, but they may be very, very motivated to take buprenorphine as a treatment. So if you have a patient who is struggling to uh, start this medication in say an ambulatory environment, that is a time where you may need to consider a higher level of care or alternative initiation strategies for your patient, talking to them about these different strategies, these different environments that you can provide support, work with your patient through their preferences and um, help them as best you can to initiate the treatment should they want to continue to try buprenorphine as a treatment. Dr. Weimer, because this episode is going to be aired on International Overdose Day, is there a message you would like to share with the medical community today? Yes, I would like to share that it is so vitally important that we increase access to evidence-based life-saving treatments for opioid use disorder. And we need to do whatever we can to arm ourselves, our patients, families, communities with education, information, knowledge, and hope that there are safe, effective, life-saving treatments for opioid use disorder 
that can prevent overdose. And we need to do whatever we can to get these medications and these treatments into the individuals who need them most so that we can prevent unnecessary death. Dr. Melissa Weimer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Well, that concludes today's episode. Thank you for joining us. If you need additional information, please visit us online at asam.org. My name is Bob Davis, thanking you for all you do in treating addiction and saving lives.